Like Eric Bischoff said, I am back and I am better than ever, just without losing $60 million in a year. Welcome back. It's season two of From the Ashes. Now I understand this isn't a TV show. This isn't a really highly anticipated Netflix series. It's my humble little podcast. But I'm doing it in seasons because that's my way of saying I need a break. I can only do so much before I need to go and cry in a corner. But I am back now. I've had a good couple of months off, had a chance to recharge, been through some really crazy, stressful stuff of trying to sell a house and then deciding not to. Had a birthday, got back into training. That was really good. So it's been busy. But I was missing this in my life because we're into lockdown number 475. Still haven't got shows back up and running yet. So I need my fix. I need my little bit of something. So... We're back on the on the tracks now. We're back on doing the recordings. We're back on doing From the Ashes podcast. And today I'm starting season two really, really strong because I am starting season two with the reigning, defending and longest ever, by default, UBW British champion, Spike Valentine. We have a good talk about his entire past, his, his way he got into the business because I've known Spike quite a long while now, about seven, eight years or so. We go back a long way from darker times before UBW, and I'm really excited to talk to him about his his way that he got into the business, the challenges he faced that almost made him walk away from the business completely, and how we managed to get him into UBW and build him up all the way up to the top of being the UBW British champion. It's a great story. It's a great fun chat with uh, a, a dark horse of a of a young man. He's he's a lot funnier than people realise. He's a lot cooler than people realise. And I'm really proud to call him my champion. So sit back and enjoy this. We've got some amazing episodes lined up for this season. We've got some international episodes. The next three are all going to be international flavoured. So that's going to be really fun. We've got some good stuff coming up. Some different things as well, not just straight up interviews. We're going to do some some deep dive episodes, some, some theoretical discovery episodes, and uh, hopefully it'll be interesting. So enjoy this episode, and I'll catch you at the end. Welcome everyone, this is episode one of season two. We've actually made it to a second season and I'm, I've honestly I've been waiting for doing this. I've had a month off, I'm hyped, I'm ready to get going into it uh, and I've lined up my first guest and I've lost all that excitement straight away because uh, it's such a letdown. Now what we've got with us today is the reigning and by proxy the longest reigning UBW British champion of all time the man who has had one defence in a little over a year, and I'm pretty sure is the reason we've got COVID in the world, because I think it was his plan to make sure he had a longer reign. Uh, a young gentleman who's been with us now for several years, and somebody I'm very, very, very proud to call our British champion. Please welcome Spike Valentine. Hello. Hello there, Paul. I'll give you such a good build-up for that, and it was like, hello. <laughs> My enthusiasm knows no bounds, Paul. It's because it's, it's because it's a bank holiday, and it's just like no, it's dark outside. It's bank holiday. It's no. I don't have to care on on this Monday, Paul. It's my <laughs> yeah. rest day. It's my rest day. I don't have to work, so I don't have to care. That's fair. I like it. I like it. So yeah, I'm. I was thinking about this the other day, and I'm pretty sure that the reason that the COVID worldwide 
pandemic even happened was you maybe concocted a plan with Smashing Mike and release this into the world so you'd, you'd by default be the longest reigning British champion. Well, I'm, I'm not saying that the um, undocumented trip that me and Mike took to China <laughs> has anything to do with it, but... Yeah. You're, not um, saying you, not, you're not saying you did do it, but you're certainly not saying you didn't. Everyone's guilty until they're not guilty. I like it. I like it. Fair enough. But yes, you are uh, our longest reigning, I think now, British champion, and you will be in the yeah. history books for a very long time. It's a, it's a good way to have quite an accolade. I like it. It's, uh, it's not only that, Paul, but... I've also I've also never been um, I've also never had a pin attempted on me during my championship reign either. <laughs> Oh yeah, of course, because your first your first defense was a ladder match, wasn't it? Yeah, I've never been pinned <laughs> as champion. <laughs> as champion. Never, not even a, not even a pinfall attempt. Not even an attempt. Your ne- your shoulders have never been pressed to the mat since you've been no. champion. That do you know what? I don't think even Hogan can claim that one. That's exactly. impressive. Wow. There you go. Mount Rushmore of wrestling. Spike Valentine right at the front of it. Exactly. Brilliant. Right, well, let's get into the business. So um, let's get into the business of the business. Uh, we'll start about how we first met, your journey thus far. Definitely some key points that we're going to relive and probably uh, regret reliving, but it's going to be good. So we've known each other now oh, maybe seven or so years, I guess. It's been quite um, a while. Yeah, it's been, yeah, it's, been a really, it's been a really long time. Yeah, because you were at a previous training school that we met at, um, and you were very young then. I suppose you must have been, what, 16, maybe, something like that? Yeah, I think I was, like, just about 16 at the time. Yeah, and I, I remember you there. You were absolutely one of the standout students, this this high-flying, uh, daredevil, fluffy-haired young lad, and you always had a good approach and a good attitude, and obviously that all completely fell apart over the years. Oh, yeah. But you're a very impressive young man, and um, I moved on from there. I went and started training and teaching at UBW, and then shortly afterwards, you ended up leading your way there as well. Um, yeah. And I was—I I remember I was really happy to have you there at the beginning because I remember you from before and you were a really good student to work with and stuff. Um, but lead me a little bit into that. So kind of how did you get into wrestling in the first place? What drew you to it? What I mean, because you've never been uh, a jacked up, built up bodybuilder guy. So... How was it for you, like the first few times you took those bumps and they rattled your bones? What made you keep with it? What kind of either drew you to wrestling and made you stick with wrestling and, and really give it a go? Um, well, I, I was always like a fan of wrestling. My brother introduced it to me because it was before, it was before, because I used to watch SmackDown, it was before um, they moved it to Sky Sports or whichever one it was. So it used to be just on like the TV. Um, because my, um, my dad was very religious. So we used to go to church in the morning, but before we went to church, it would always be on TV. Uh So me and my brother would watch it. Um, and then how did your folks feel about that? Were they approving of wrestling or not really? Um, I don't think they minded. Um, the only, I think the only thing that was, the only thing that annoyed them was when obviously being two brothers watching wrestling, obviously, we, me and Alex did um, like our own wrestling, yeah. As any as any siblings do, 
Um, <laughs> I think I think one of the breaking points was I don't know if my, my I don't know if my mum actually knows about this. So if she ever listens to this, I'm screwed. But um, <laughs> but basically, like we used to wrestle on my mum's bed, and then one time my brother power bombed me onto the bed and actually went through the bed. <laughs> Oh dear. So, so as soon as that happened, me and my brother were start pushing all like the wood, trying to push all the wood back into place. So it's somewhat stable. And then when my mum came home and got into the um and got into her bedroom, my brother immediately just ran in. He was like, Oh mum, I've got to talk to you. So he purposely threw himself on the bed. On on that wow. section. So he so he went through the bed again. And my mum was like, oh, no, Alex, what have you done? He was like, I don't know. I just sat on the bed. It's just broken. <laughs> so my mum had to get a tiny new bed. <laughs> to be honest, I'm, I'm really impressed with that because my immediate thought of that was like, I'll just I'll just leave it. And then when she gets in it and it breaks, just go, oh, what happened? It must have been weak. Or maybe we've got like, you know, something wrong with the wood. I don't remember talking about that bit with my brother. I think my brother decided to like for some reason take the fall for me or something because he because as soon as mum got in and walked in the bedroom, we were like, okay, we'll just leave it. But I think I don't know. Me and my brother, maybe my brother had something go for his head of doing something yeah. like, oh, if she if she sits in it and breaks, she knows it's going to be us. So I'll I'll just do <laughs> just throw myself on it. Wow. So you see that that's how you tell a story, and that's booking genius. We need to get him on the booking committee. That that kid's got some ideas. <laughs> I'm impressed. Yes. Yes. Carry, carry on. So after, um, well, the important thing is, um, one, did he execute the power bomb well, and two, did you sell it? Um, well, yeah, I sold it, but luckily there's no audience there, Paul. So as soon as I went through it, both our faces were a bit like, "Oh no!" Oh, <laughs> what a, what a spe- that could have been like the whole Mick Foley jumping off the roof thing. That could have been an amazing. Don't uh, get me wrong. It was a great power bomb. Oh, good. That's the key. As long as Perfectly the form done. was good, yeah. that's all that matters. <laughs> it's good. It was a good form. It was just the aftermath that wasn't as good. But um, yes. <laughs> so yeah. So that was kind of like my experience. That was my pre-experience of wrestling before professional manner. I guess is the best way to say it. Um, so yeah. And then I think after around the time when it moved to Sky Sports was around the time when my mum was a bit more like, uh, maybe I don't want you guys watching wrestling. Mm. So then we just watch it at my grandma's because she had Sky. Um, but my grandma was always a bit like we'd have it on, then she might let it go on for half an hour, and then suddenly be like, "No, nah, your mum doesn't like wrestling. Turn it off. Watch something else." But we get about half an hour of it. Okay. Um, and I think, and I sort, so I sort of went off wrestling after that. Um, but then around 2011, um, my, me and my brother were bored. Like we ran out of like video games to play, so we both bought, like, put together, got our money, and bought. Um, I think it was SmackDown versus Raw 2011. I think it was. Mm-hmm. And then after playing that, me and my brother slowly got more and more into wrestling. Um, like we started like, because um, that was obviously when things like were on the WWE website. So we were watching like clips and stuff on there. Um, so I wasn't watching full shows. I was actually watching like the last three minutes of every single wrestling match because that's how it like used to be on there. Because it's like, yeah. this, this is pre, um, pre-network. Um, then I think after that, I think my brother was just kind of more like casual, whereas I sort of started to delve a bit more into it because I was always into things like wrestling. Like my, the ones I always used to watch when I was younger that I remember was Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. Uh, yeah. So those were the two main ones. I think the first match I ever watched from what I can remember was actually, um, it was like Eddie Guerrero versus Tajiri. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. And that was sure. the first wrestling match I ever watched. So, but it was a, it was a weird one because it was when, um, it was like mid, no one, they had that like feud back then. Um, and it was like 
Eddie comes out and he's on the, he's in the car. So immediately I'm like, oh my god, like that's so cool. He's coming out in a car because everyone, everyone just walks out, and I'm like, oh, Eddie, Eddie Guerrero is using a car. That's amazing. um and then he gets out and then opens the boot and then tajiri's in there and just sprays him with a mist and i'm just like i don't know who this tajiri guy is but this is pretty cool because he just spat something in his face (laughs) yeah yeah see that's the thing when you get something that's different and something standing out rather than just person versus person does moves and is a match that's the kind of stuff that draws you in the stuff that's a little bit extracurricular yeah and then with things like Rey mysterio obviously because he wore like a mask and stuff around that age i do i did like do a lot of things like read comic books and i watched like power rangers and stuff like that so i was one of those kids who did think that Rey mysterio was a superhero understandable and yeah absolutely yeah so that's how i got more into the sort of like high flying aspect of things because those were the type of people i i enjoyed watching and that really kind of dragged you in from there. So, so what? Obviously, it's a big step from watching it on TV and enjoying it and thinking this is a, a, an amazing thing. But you know, we all watch Marvel and enjoy that. We don't go out and start trying to throw hammers at people. Well, not yet. You do. You live in Stevenage. Um, but not, not <laughs> anymore. Paul. Not anymore. Oh, this is, have you left Stevenage now? Where are you now? Um, I'm in Hatfield now. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you did tell me that, but the yeah. the, the CTE kicks in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the step from watching it as this big, amazing superhero world to I'm going to give this a go. It's a big step. Did you did you have a sports background at school? Were you athletic or anything? Because it's a big step to make. Um, that was a big because I always did a bit of like everything. Um, whether I stuck to it or not was definitely like a no. Like um, I did things like I did karate. Um, I did um, I did rugby for a while. I did basketball. But I didn't really, I didn't stick to any of them. Mm. I think like the, uh, I think I'm pretty sure for like one of, I think I went to like one type of judo school. I think I was there for like two days and then I stopped. So <laughs> I never really like stuck to a lot of things. Yeah, you just you were just trying to find the thing that stuck for you the most. Yeah. So then wrestling kind of just like really hooked me, um, especially um around the time i had a very unfortunate crisis in my family and i just sort of decided that oh maybe i should just spend my life doing stuff that i want to do and stuff that i enjoy Mm -hmm. and i was really into wrestling at the time so at that sense i was like oh i guess i can give wrestling a go i've always wanted to be a wrestler or at least know how it works um because at that point i was old enough to know some of the ins and outs of wrestling but then I'll watch stuff and be like, oh, how do you do, how do people like, you know, take a power driver and like not get their neck broken? It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> I think it's a lot so, of wrestlers out there still don't know the answers to that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, like you said, Paul, there is a myth that power drivers are dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Shut, <they> up. Are. <laughs> Shut up. Shut <laughs> up. It's still one of my I'm, greatest lines, but carry on. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to engrave that on your tombstone, whether you like it yeah, or not. I, I think it needs to be. I think I need to definitely have that in my will. That's the last thing that's read out after my death. Exactly. <laughs> but uh-huh. yeah, so yeah, so I just started looking online. Um, I think uh, I think after a while, I, couldn't, I just couldn't find any schools because I was like fifteen at the time when I was looking. So I didn't really have like the necessary disposable income um, to do it. So then I ended up doing um, kickboxing in my. Um, in this um, little school in Stevenage. So that got me used to things like conditioning, like taking punches and stuff. Um, got me a bit more flexible in terms of like techniques of like strikes and things. 
um, mm-hmm. which is why I do quite a few strikes in terms of my move set because that was my background. Um, and then yeah, then I managed to find one school, um, and my mum was um, really supportive about it because she was a bit like, well, you know, if he sticks to it, then that's good. If he doesn't stick to it, it'll probably only be like a week or two, and then he'll probably stop. So <laughs> yeah. my mum blessed, yeah. So my mum blessed her. She was driving me um, from Stevenage to London every Sunday morning for months, pretty much. Um, this is like soup and she, and it wasn't even like, you know, it's not like it was midway through the day. Like this was, this was early. I think we were getting up at like seven thirty in the morning or something for my mum to drive me down. Wow. And at first she would sit there for like the hour and watch me. Um, and she'd do that for ages until, um, I got to a point when I had a bit of my own money. So then I started taking the train down, but my mum was always like very supportive about that sort of thing. Um, uh, which is weird considering, like you know, her initial insect of, um, oh yeah, don't w- don't want you guys watching wrestling; it's too violent mm. and stuff like that. So to have her be really supportive about it afterwards really mean really meant a lot, and she did help me out a lot with it. Um, but then, yeah, but then after a while, it was getting a bit too expensive because I was still like a sixteen-year-old kid trying to yeah. afford to go like to London every single day, plus pay for the training. Yeah, yeah, I think as well. I think sometimes with parents. They just need to see that you've you've done it a bit and you haven't broken. Yeah, and I think once you've proven that, I think they sometimes soften to it a little bit. And and also, if if you've, I'd imagine if you've gone through lots of things in the past and not stuck with them, and all of a sudden you found something you have stuck with, most parents will look at that and go, "Well, you know, okay, I can get on board with this because this is something that's probably really going to stick because the other ones haven't." Yeah, I think that because I remember like after my second or third lesson um my mum my mum was we were just talking about it in the car and my mum said um I think she said it as well like my grandparents and stuff came over and she was just like oh I don't think I've ever seen him like so concentrated on something before mm. yeah um I think she was like the last time she saw me so concentrated was probably like because I used to do a lot of um like stage acting sometimes when when I was younger so my mum was very much sort of like, oh, well, you know, that, that was probably, she knew that I did like stuff like drama and acting. So she was very much like, well, that was the last time I saw him like, com- like confident or concentrating on something. So to yeah. see me doing that with wrestling, she probably thought it was probably the right decision that I, that she just lets me stick with it or at least helps me stick with it to a point that I can like um, sustain it myself when I'm older. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's one thing that I think has always been really great about any shows that you've been on as well is, your family have been there so often and they've always been so supportive. And yeah. it's always 50 50 because you can either have people around you being very supportive or not really, or kind of like, oh, happy for you, but don't want to get involved. But your family have been there so often at, at the shows and at the front row and cheering you on. Um, and, and they've always been so supportive of you. And I, I know that everybody else that's outside of the ring at shows, like the front of house girls and, and uh, everybody else engaging with them and talking with them and, mm. and they've always said that like this it's such a lovely thing seeing them there because you can see when they're watching you can see in their eyes how proud they are of you and how much they enjoy watching you yeah and it's just a really nice thing to have and um it's good to have that kind of support as well but it's good that they realize that you were sticking with it and you really wanted to give it a go and, and obviously helping you out and get involved in it and, and stick with it but from your side when you took that first couple of bumps that first time and the first time you landed, the first time you got hit, first time you got thrown around, it's a big 
it's a big thing to go, yeah, I want to keep doing this as opposed to that hurts. I don't like that. Yeah. What was it like for you? Did Because you, you're not, like I mentioned before, you're not a jacked up guy. You're not big. You're not covered in muscle. You've always been very slight of frame. So that must have, it must have resonated with you harder physically or did it? Or did you just think, no, it was just, you know, <laughs> too amped up to feel it. <laughs> um, I don't I actually never really thought about it, to be honest. It's just been one of those things like I, when they told me about how bumps work, when I first learned about it, I just kept practicing it. But I think I think it's because I did like a buildup of like on the crash mats, then on like the thin mats, then in the ring. And I, I I don't know. I guess it just never never really bothered me. So I guess in terms of a physical aspect, it never really bothered me that much. I don't know if that's because I'm not feeling it or because like I'm I just managed to get the bumps down to a degree that I can land in such a safe manner um, to like prevent such like much a bigger impact. Mm. Um, but I I don't I'm I honestly don't know. It's I've never really thought about that sort of thing. But it's just it was more being able to finally learn something that I wanted to know my whole life and to get start getting like all this knowledge about it and stuff. I think that's kind of like what sticks sticks makes me want to stick around for it. Yeah. No, that's fair. And it, like I say, it's, it's everywhere. It's different for everyone. Mm. Um, but it's good because I've, I've seen over the years, because as, as we've mentioned before between us, I'm very old now, but over the years <laughs> I've seen so many people so excited for it. They love it. This is what they want to do. This is their life's dream. They do one session and they turn around and go, yeah, this isn't for me. This hurts. But yeah. it's, yeah, it's make or break. You either go literally, you go down one road or the other. There's no middle ground. Um, but the good thing is you did stick with it and you, you did keep at it. But um, after a short while, you ended up at the UBW doors to train uh, with us. And I, and I know it was purely a case of you just were desperate to train with me again. You sought me out. You <laughs> hunted me down because you wanted my knowledge. Um, no, but you, you came along there and this was the early days as well when it was, it was myself and Rich and Cruz and we were still really finding our feet as to what we were doing in terms of, of running stuff and booking things. Yeah, um, I think I think I joined. I think I joined the training school. I think it was like after the first or second show UBW ever did. I think was when I started. It was very very early days. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't. Because yeah. I remember like sometimes when you talk about like the first ever show that UBW did, and I have I have no knowledge of it whatsoever because I hadn't. I wasn't there for like any of it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it was like year one slash just after the kind of the early the earliest yeah. parts. Um, but. It was good because you walked in and straight away you knew what you were doing. Straight away you were you were able to go. It was just a case of right, okay, let's get any bad habits from the previous place out of you and just kind of focus that a little bit. But very early on, we were we were set on the fact of getting you on the shows and getting you involved in things. But early on, we didn't really have any notable gimmick or character for you, and no. it was difficult because. We had a real ragtag group of people. Um, some people had some wacky gimmicks. Some people were just there. Uh, and initially, your entire thing was kind of like the one, two, three kid. Yeah. That was basically what you designed as to wait until we found the right thing for you. And you were the the amazingly named Lucas Lightning. Now, it wasn't a very creative time. 
Well, it, it was what it was. I just, I just want to let everyone know that is listening, Paul. This was, that was not my idea in any sense of the word. <laughs> no, <laughs> was, no. I remember, no. I remember the, I remember the memory of the naming very clearly, Paul, because it was literally you didn't tell, you didn't give any of us a ring name until like two minutes before I had to go out. <laughs> and well, it, yeah, but do you know what? It, I, see, I, I get, I get inspiration in in like the the tense times. So you know, you were designed after the Lightning Kid. So Lucas Lightning, and that's why one person that was wearing a Sundico shirt got called El Sundico because <laughs> I didn't know what Sundico was at the time. So yeah, El Sundico, and uh, we won't even mention about the one with the monkey mask. We won't go oh, there. Yeah. No, we'll, we'll <laughs> we'll, leave that one. We'll leave that one well off. But yeah, so early on, you were you were designed to kind of be the the small high flyer and kind of really getting some some ring time under your first before we did something more with you. Um, and on paper, that was great, until we had a, a certain show with a very large, big South African monster <clears throat> who uh, who's, who's a good lad. He looked like a Viking. He was built like a, a brick house. And he was basically kind of like, in, U, in UK terms, our version of Lesnar. And yeah. We were like, okay, well, you know, he can go through you as this kind of sacrificial lamb to get him over because you'll be able to sell his stuff really well. You'll be able to make him look good despite he's green as hell. And on paper, it was great. And in the ring, it was great. Right up until the last moment. Because we thought, do you know what? I look really good for this big guy, this big mixed martial arts Viking, F5. I know he can take that really well. Perfect. And um, take us through that, mate. So it's funny because remember we went over it like loads and loads in training, like again and again and again. And it was always yeah. like it was fine. We did it and we we're like, yeah, that looks awesome. It's gonna get it's gonna get over. People are gonna think I'm dead. Like it's gonna be amazing. Um and then so the the whole point, the whole like because it was just a very quick squash match, really. It was like probably like what, two, three minutes long? Yeah. Bell to yeah. Bell. Um and it was mainly me doing stuff like throwing myself at him, drop kicks, runners, and then eventually he would just kill me with like a power bomb and stuff. And it was all going really well. I think um, the, I think that power bomb was that the first time I fully understood what it was like to be winded mid match, because oh. it did take the wind out of me. <laughs> but, but then again, I think that was like one of my first times like doing an actual full match in a ring. Yeah. So yeah, so that was just me getting used to it. And then, so he picks me up for the F5 and he, and um, I don't know if, I think, I don't know if it was like the heat of the moment or he just, or he, he um, maybe just like forgot or something, but instead of just throwing me nicely over his shoulders, he decided to push me completely vertically upwards. So um, I was, I was in a perfectly straight line from feet to head. Um, and instead of letting me fall flat, so he can go down with me so it lands in some sort of like DDT or flatline, the sort of thing like it usually sort of ends in a way. Um, he just immediately just went down to um, to bat bump as I'm already midair. So I'm so I'm skyrocketing to the floor head first <laughs> at like breakneck speed. And my mindset is I've either got a he goes, I have two options, which is either I just take it and probably land on my head and God knows what happens, or I try and put my arm in the way. And hopefully that will like take some of the impact away. So I did the I did the latter, and hit the mat. My shoulder hurt a little bit, 
but a part of me, but my, because it was like my first time on the show, my brain was just saying like, oh, this is just how wrestling is. If things hurt mid in match, you know, it's, it's, it's how it works. You know, I'm hitting the mat. It's going to hurt. It's fine. Um, then I get carried out and I get carried out because the, the idea was meant to be that I was knocked out and I was fine. I was happy with myself. I was like, that looked really good until I went backstage. And I think it was Jade that pointed it out. Cause everyone was like, oh, well done man on your first match. That was so good. And then Jay just looks at me and goes, what the hell is wrong with your shoulder? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I look and I can just see on my right shoulder, the, um, where the sort of clavicle comes over. It was, it was poking up, not out of the skin. Luckily it was still in skin. There was just this huge poke in my upper shoulder. And I just looked at it and I was just like, Oh God. And then suddenly that's when it all hit me and all the adrenaline left my body. And I went pale <laughs> and I went, I went as white as you possibly could go. And then, yeah, it turns out um, the landing ruptured pretty much all the tendons in my right shoulder and just like separated everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was out, I was out in the, the venue itself filming at the time. I remember I was on yeah. camcorder duty and it was at the break. Yeah. It was at the break time. Somebody came over and went, Oh, just to let you know, um, the ambulance has, has taken him away. And I went, what? What do you mean? This, what, what the hospital? What happened? Is he okay? What happened? My God, what's went, Oh no, he's he's separated his shoulder. He's he's been back there in um sweating profusely and they've had to take him out. And I was like, Oh, I didn't even know. I was like, oh no. Um and it was I was obviously I couldn't go back there or do anything. But it was a complete shock because I did I as far as I knew, I just remember you getting dragged out. And I remember looking at Ben and going, Oh, he's selling really well, isn't he? No, that's <laughs> no, that's the thing. That's the thing people get wrong. I was selling. I didn't I mean my shoulder hurt a little bit, but it wasn't um I wasn't sad. I didn't think to myself, Oh, something's wrong. Mm. I just I just oh, yeah. thought, Oh, I'm probably gonna get like just a bad bruise on my shoulder yeah. at some point. It'll be fine. It wasn't it, I was fine until I got backstage and then Jade pointed out that my something was wrong with my shoulder. Then I, I looked realize. and then that was when it all just went horribly wrong. Yeah. I, it was it was very shocking. I remember just thinking, like, "Oh my god, this is this is not good. This is you know, an injury on a show is the worst thing you can ever have as a booker." And yeah, yeah, and and that put you out for a while. I mean, how long were you out for? But I'm trying to remember. Oh, I'm trying to think because it was around. I want to say it was March mm. when 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 the show happened. It was either March or April. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure I spent because I think they said because um, obviously the, the, one of the hardest things um, that you won't really have to deal with unless you're a wrestler is explaining injuries and things to a doctor. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's some of the most awkward things you need to explain because general doctors just don't understand it. So, yeah, um, so yeah. So he, I think he said I had to spend, I think it was like a month or a month and a half with the sling on to try and let it heal. Um, then I had to try and start taking it off but not do any exercise with it, just sort of like maybe mm. move it around, do some stretching with it, but like very light. Um, yeah. And then he was like, gradually get into it. So I think when I started coming back to training, which I think I want to say it's around June or July, it's probably when I came back. Cause I remember it was yeah. summertime and I remember training and it was, I didn't do anything that put strain on my right side or like front bumping to put my arms in the way. I just did all back bump stuff. Cause that was fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anything, anything that required me to fall forward, I didn't do. I think I was back in. It was probably. It was probably. I think it was probably coming towards the end of that year. So it was probably yeah. like October, November was when my shoulder was good enough. But it was, it was mainly just because I think it, I could have probably started earlier. I think it was just because I wanted to be very cautious. Yeah, and there was no way in the world we were going to let you go back in full peel anyway. You, you had to no. slowly build yourself back to it. 
Yeah, exactly. So I've, I won't, I wanted to be safe or so because, especially because I was still quite young. I think I was. Yeah. Um, how old was that? I? I think I was probably like eighteen. I think when it happened, I want to say yeah, eighteen that, or nineteen. Yeah. So yeah, so I knew that that career was early. So I was like, I don't want to do anything that's going to put any lasting damage on it, like so yeah. early. So after that, I was always like very cautious of my shoulder. That's why, for like, if you look at like most early footage of Spike or late Lucas Lightning, it's um, I've always got like my shoulder taped up just because I want to be sure. Yeah. It's it's the smart thing to do. There's no point in risking it, especially at a young age, but. No, I remember because I remember you coming along to training with your sling on. Still, you still made it along to training to watch and to take stuff in and just to sit there. Mm. And obviously, that to us that showed that one, this injury is not going to knock your confidence and take you out of it. But two, that's commitment because mm. you know a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people don't even turn up to training when they're healthy because well, they can't be bothered. But you still came along to try and take stuff in to try and. And, and assimilate information and learn and just be a part of it. Um, yeah. So there was, there was never a doubt that as soon as you were back, we needed to figure you back into stuff, um, which obviously we did. Um, but it was still a bit of a dry time in terms of character and ideas. And we kind of carried on with what you were doing. Yeah, but, just stuck with the lightning thing. Yeah, and it was a difficult thing because you were one of those guys that we always wanted, or I, I always wanted to do something with so desperately. But needed something because yeah, you've you've seen because you've been there long enough. People that don't really have any character or gimmick to what they're doing just kind of they're just there. Um, yeah. and I'm a I'm a I'm a whore for a gimmick. So we needed something, and it was like I just couldn't can't find that thing. But you what's the word? You you kind of built a reputation for being this bump machine and for spiking yourself on things, you you would always go headfirst into everything. And there yeah. was like a running joke about, about you being a spike. Um, and then, then you kind of, you completely come up with the idea of spike Valentine. I remember you pitched it to me. And of course I was sold straight away, but that, that's, that, that, that's actually not true, Paul. Is it <laughs> See, not? That's, that's where you're wrong. <laughs> so help me help me with my concussions here. Go on. <laughs> so I actually came to you with the idea um, I'm trying to think. I think it was uh, it was after I came back from the injury. I think it was after like the third show. I think of me coming back, and I came up to you and I had this um, idea. This is like very early spike spike idea times. Um, so I still I stuck with the spike the spike name, but I think it was because um what that what gave me the idea was you like you know you know my music taste. I do like my rock music and stuff and my metal and things like that. So I wanted to do something like more music based because my girlfriend at the time straightened my hair and I thought it looked pretty funny. And I was like, oh, hang on. I could probably do something with this in terms of wrestling. So originally Spike was actually meant to be sort of like a almost like punk emo goth sort of thing. Um, probably more on like the punk side of things. And I came to you with the idea and you shot and you shot me down, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I've like, I I got an that. idea for this like punk rocker gimmick sort of thing. And you were just sort of like... Nah, people won't like that. It's not gonna. <laughs> it's not gonna work. <laughs> so then I was like, okay, okay. So I went away and then thought about something else. And then that was when I thought about. Um, I looked around a little bit more because I knew a few people doing musical gimmicks sort of things. So I was like, I don't want to do anything like that falls in like the generic stuff. And then I realized not many people were doing. Well, I couldn't see anyone at the time really that was doing like a glam rock thing. Like really, and when I say glam rock, I don't mean like you know maybe just. Um, maybe have a bit of eyeliner on something, but I meant like full on like 
try and be a bit feminine with things, a bit more like sexual about things. Mm. Um, and I think the only person that was doing it at the time, um, probably not, not really at the time, but at some point was probably Spud when he was Rockstar Spud, like on the indies before yeah. he did like TNA and stuff, because that was sort of what he was doing. So I thought I could probably do like a bit more with it. So that's why I started adding things like the pink and the lollipop and um, stuff like that. And then that was when I felt a bit more confident with it that I would come to you about it. Yeah. But originally, originally you did not like my idea. <laughs> I mean, I I don't remember that, so you could well be lying. So you know, <laughs> we'll move on from that. I I don't I don't remember that if, at all. But I, I remember if, to, oh, if I have to go over all the times you forgot something. <laughs> oh that, mate, that, was, that had something to do with me. Like the amount of times I would come to training, think like, oh, I want to do this move. I'll do it, and then the next week I'll come in, and you're teaching someone else it. And then I have yeah. to be like, Paul, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I just thought of this move the other day and thought it might be good for him. And I'm like, yeah, it's because I showed it last week. This this does happen a lot. I'll, I will admit to that. I mean, Memes has, has actually set up a, um, a shared notebook for when we talk about ideas because he'll tell me one week and he'll come to me the next week and say, remember when we talked about this? No, no recollection, nothing. So the, yeah, the it, biggest The biggest move was the satellite DDT. You gave that. You give that to everyone, <laughs> even when yes. even, even when I would do it like mid match, you'd be like, "Oh, that can basically be like your finisher for now." And then like someone else will come in next week and be like, "You should do a satellite DDT." And until they go, "Isn't that like Lucas's finisher or something?" And then you have to like think back on yourself for like the last <laughs> month. But it's because it's like it's my version of WWE's Overdrive. They give the Overdrive to everyone. <laughs> I give the satellite DDT to everyone. It works. It's fine. Just shut up. Anyway. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think, to be honest, I think what sold uh, the current iteration of Spike Valentine was two words, Steel Panther. Mm. I think what was, was the idea was like, it's very Steel Panther-esque. And yes. I was like, yeah, do you know what? I'm sold. If you can do it, and you can do it properly, and you can be a combination of, of Michael Starr and um, David Lee Roth, you can pull that off. I mean, and you did, and you straight away backed it up. So I was like, yeah, there's there's, uh, there's no questions there. In fact, and I'll send it to you after this, I actually found yesterday your original bed promo where you were cutting the promo on the bed with the cat. <laughs> that's a blinder. That's going up on YouTube, <laughs> especially the outtakes of the cat. Oh, God. Um, that was so good. It was. But you you threw yourself full in. You got the leather jacket. You got the the uh, the bandana. You got the eyeliner. You had the lollipop. You had the ripped jeans and everything. You just full into it because there's so many people that come up and say, "I've got this idea for a gimmick," and all they have is tights that have their name on it. But you went full in with everything. So I was like, "Yes, okay, perfect. We finally got something." And the first thing for you was that feud with Paddy. Yeah, and I think that helped paddy grow so much and i think it really helped you with, with with growing as well because all of a sudden you went from this white meat one two three kid style baby face to this cocky arrogant full of himself showboat heel and yeah, it gave you the legs like no but it gave <laughs> you the legs to re- but the thing is they didn't like you because you committed to it and you were so yeah. good at just being a dick and yeah, paddy was much. just so likable and i think it was you two were so beneficial for each other in terms of growth mm. and your feud that you had over the young lion's belt for so long, it did wonders for you both. And you could literally see you growing show after show, after show, after show to the point that I, I remember oh, it must've been about 2018 time 
and we were talking and, and it was a couple of people like you, you do realize that like, he's probably the most consistent person on the show he's just everything from the gimmick to the performance to to everything it's like yep you know what he, he actually is and it was it was always the idea to build you through this thing with Paddy and then try and go from there. Um, but give me a bit of, of feedback from yourself in terms of that time working with Paddy and having that feud. Did you feel? Could you feel the growth in yourself? Yeah, because I yeah because I remember um, after like pitching the idea to you, the first match I had as Spike was, did actually have Paddy involved. So it was the first time me doing the gimmick. I think it was it was me. Jack Stars, and I want to say Antler Dash. I think it was a six-man. I think on the other team was uh, Ricky, Paddy, and Luca Chu. Luca Chu, yeah. yeah. Um, but I remember like the is show that, before. Is that Sorry, the one it? where where um, Paddy stiffs Jack Stars and Jack Stars <laughs> lights him up afterwards? Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> one. Um, with, with a lock-up, might I add. A lock-up of yes. all things. <laughs> yes. Not not a slap, not like a dodgy DDT or show. It was a, it was a lock-up. And and then they'd locked up, and then immediately, I think um, Jack puts a headlock on, and straight away I can just see Jack Stars' face just bleeding profusely, and I was just like, "Oh, what the hell has happened?" Oh, like, Paddy, the match has just started. <laughs> what is going on? Oh, but um, but yeah, because I remember because I was um I was very I remember I was like scrounging for it because I remember I did, I did like the promo shoots of Spike. I didn't really have like the proper gear. I mean, I had like I borrowed like skinny jeans from from a from a friend of mine at work. Um, none, none of the stuff was really mine. Mm. Um, so, and I remember, like, I did like one show as Lucas Lighting afterwards, and immediately you were just like, "Oh, I want you to do Spike from now on." And I wasn't even prepared, so I was like scrounging everything together. But um, I'm so helpful, aren't I? No, it's because it, it, you did you did it twice because you did it when because we had the promo shots. And you were like, "Oh, we're going to do some Lucas Lightning shots," and then I think I messaged you on like the Thursday saying, "Hey, if I can get the stuff together, can I try out this new gimmick idea I have?" And you're and then you didn't respond to me until like the Saturday night before. <laughs> so, and, and at the time I had a weekend job, so I was working from like 8am on a Sunday till four. So I didn't have any time during the day to go shopping. So in the evening I was scrounging around for everything. I'm the worst. <laughs> Messaging friends saying, like, Hey, has anyone got any like skinny jeans? I got, I think that, I think the jeans I ended up using in the end was, um, was a girl. I had to buy some girl skinny jeans. <laughs> Cause they're like the only ones that, that someone had. I was talking to someone at work and I, oh, I've got a spare set of skinny jeans that might fit you. And I was like, yeah, just, just give me them. I'll, I'll give them back to you the, the next day or something. <laughs> Brilliant. Carry on. So, so yeah, but, um, but yeah, so to scrounge that to, it was pretty, I was, I was pretty much scrounging. It all I mean, I had an idea of what I wanted, but, um, I can see from like that first match to, I'm trying to think, may, may, even like till now, but I guess like in terms of the original um, thing up until um, Paddy won the young lines off me, it is very much, you can see like the first couple of matches, I'm like trying to find what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. But then like, I, but then like pretty much in that final match with Paddy, you could tell I had pretty much everyone there, like in the palm of my hands in terms of wanting them to like hate me and wanting them to like really want Paddy just to like absolutely batter me. Yeah. And the thing is, as well, from a Booker standpoint, I wanted to have a slower build with you. One, because there's no rush with you because you're so young. Some people are a bit young, a bit older. You've got less time to really capitalize. But also, some people, it's very easy to just put them out in front of a crowd and bam, they're sold. Because Crowley, for example, look at the size of him or look at his body or look at his his presence. You can sell him straight away. Um, uh, Jack Stars. 
you know, you you've got a look straight away. With you, it took a bit more to sell you to the people, and I wanted to get you into people's hearts first and get them to love you for the underdog or love you for um for for your ability or even hate you for it and get you to actually connect with them on an emotional level before we then put you up and higher up the card and higher up the card. You had to be ingrained in them first. And I think mm. you did as well because over the years you grew with people. So those that have stuck with us for the few years of the past three or four years, they've seen you grow from this cocky young upstart to this legitimate contender to this top level uh, main event guy. And I think you're, your foundation has been better because you've now got a foundation there that you can switch up and down the card very easily if you need to. Whereas some people, they come in straight at the top and it's very hard for them to drop down, but you've, you've built that with them and they know exactly who you are. And I think yeah. those matches with Paddy did so much for that. Yeah, definitely. I've, I, yeah. we definitely helped like a lot. Cause obviously I was, a, even though I was a bit more ex- experienced in terms of like um, ring gear and wrestling in terms of matches and stuff, and Paddy was still quite new, but I think it helped us in different ways. Cause for me, it helped me in terms of things like building the character of Spike and making that more, um, more promotable for people. And for Paddy, I think we, we both really helped him with like in terms of in-ring ability and his confidence and things like that. And then he went off and starts doing his um, conspiracy theories. But before that, when he was just Paddy O'Connor, um, the fighting Irishman sort of thing, the most generic thing ever. But um, in terms of his like, because I remember like he was always like super nervous about things. But um, yeah. I mean, I mean, he obviously likes it. He always he like even even now sometimes if I try and talk to him before a match, he's like, "Don't talk to me. I'm trying to remember everything." But yeah. um, but he's not like as tense as he usually is as um when he yeah. first started. Yeah, and you can see relaxed. that in his work. You see that when he's out there. You see him being so much more fluid and relaxed and everything he does. And in the same with you, like you've gone from being that kind of um, fast and erratic reactionary wrestler to being, I'm controlling my area. I'm controlling the ring. I'm controlling what I'm doing. I'm in control now. I'm doing my stuff. You see hmm. that relaxation in you. And that, that just comes with time and, and experience. Yeah. Um, but you've, you've always been one of those few people that never at any point when you're out there, do you look flustered or do you look confused or do you look worried? And you see some people, and, and I, I, I won't name names, but there's people that I, I'm working on this with still, that I've said to them, I can see you thinking. Mm. I can literally hear cogs in your head as I'm standing at ringside. I've been doing this long enough. I can tell when you're thinking. But with you, it's never a case. It's always just a case of, yeah, he's out there doing his thing. And that's relaxation. And that's a, that's a, a good thing to get, but not easy. No, I think it's just because I, it's because I've gotten to that point where, because my, in terms of like, uh, most people have their goals in wrestling of being like, you know, make it to WWE, be in WrestleMania and stuff. My initial goals, I think I remember like telling you this, my initial goal was actually just, just to do wrestling in general. Yeah. I wasn't, I, I wasn't really fussed on um, like getting signed by like a big promotion. I'm not saying it would be nice. If there's anyone listening that is thinking about it, I will take the signing. I will. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was just like, in, in general, my mindset was sort of like, I just want my, my, cause my, my, I remember my short term goals were like, first, I want to have a wrestling match. Then it was like, cool. Maybe I want like a different type of wrestling match, maybe like a leather match or a false count anywhere match. Then it's, oh, I guess like winning a title might be nice. And it's like, oh, I've got a title now. Um, I guess I would like to go maybe a bit more like, main event or something like i'm i'm very like gradual i kind of just take what i can get but i just 
yeah. do it because I like wrestling. <laughs> well, there was that period as well where you became um, ladder match Lucas in that <laughs> you just constantly yeah. had just so many ladder matches one after the other. No, yeah, but you, you say that as if it was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, that, that is on me. But, no, but it's, it shows faith in you that I knew you were good and you were great. I know, but still, it was, it, cause it was the other thing as well. It was when you, um, oh, what was it? It was, yeah, it was when I, I started getting like a knack in training because the other knack in training I had, not just for like spiking myself, was I just kept thinking of different pins of like rolling people <laughs> yeah. up. Just constantly, anytime someone put me in the situation, I was always pinning them. I remember we used to do like shoot pinning exercises yeah. and just no one can pin me because I kept wiggling out and rolling them up. So then I was like, oh, okay, maybe I can do like, Paul, maybe I should do like a lot of like pinning stuff for my moveset. And you're like, yeah, that's a good idea. What's my next match, Paul? Uh, ladder match. <laughs> With no, yeah. no pinfalls whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember you mentioned that to me recently, and I, I hadn't realised that. <laughs> I was kind of sat there and went, "Oh yeah, it's a dick move." <laughs> yeah, it was like it was yeah. like for what? Yeah, because I, I think um, after the first initial like golden shot ladder match, I think I was in like another two or three ladder matches after that. Yeah, you had the tag title ladder match. You had the one in Luton the ladder match. You had uh, a couple with Paddy. You had the one last show with Paddy. Yeah, you've, exactly. You've done more ladder matches than I think anyone in wrestling history. It's impressive. <laughs> Probably in such in like such yeah. a short space of time as well. <laughs> yeah, but I, it's just because you're so good at them. That's what it yeah, is. that's the yeah, that's the weird thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because I do think like because yeah, because my first ladder match was the golden shot ladder match. Yeah, and that, uh, that was that was such a fun match to do. That was so <laughs> yeah, fun. that went that went really well. I mean, the thing is, you've always been very creative with the, the ladder stuff, and I, and I think this is the key for ladder matches that, that there's been so many over the years now since 94 um you get to a point where you know jeff's taken the spear from the rungs um but people have taken the uh, uh flatliner off the top and stuff there's not much bumping off a ladder you can do that's going to be that impressive now you've got to be creative you've got to do creative things with a ladder you've got to involve a ladder you've got to do really clever things involving it and that's one thing you've always been able to do you've always been able to steal kind of come up with creative or innovative ideas with a ladder and i think that's why i keep booking you in them <laughs> it's your own fault for being so creative yeah i, I don't know I, I don't really know because i think it's like um especially for the golden shot one because obviously we had there were six of us so i think yeah. the the creativity ideas were kind of like throwing all over the place but i remember like yeah. even though in hindsight i think it was probably my I want to say I didn't I didn't even have that many matches at that point in terms of wrestling. Mm. I think because I, I did a few because after I came back from the injury, I did a few as lightning before I ended up doing Spike. So I was and Spike and the the Golden Shot one was my second match as Spike. So I hadn't really yeah. had in terms of in terms of like experience in ring experience, I didn't have that much behind me. But I somehow became like um, the commander of this entire match for like no reason. Yeah. Like, um, I'm not, I don't know exactly what happened looking back because I know there were some people there in the match that were maybe a bit more experienced than I was, but I somehow ended up being the guy that was like organizing everything. And people were like mm. clarifying with me saying, like, Oh, do you think we can fit this in? And if I could fit it in, I would. If I wouldn't buy, so I ended up taking like creative control in the way. And like Paddy, um, helped out with the planning and stuff as well. But I somehow became like the commander, and I have no idea how I how it got <laughs> to that position. <laughs> but, um, but no, it turned out, it turned out really well. 
But you know, like a few people have said to me that um, they see you as a go-to person because one, because you've got a few more years in the business than them, or you've been around training longer than them, but also they see you as somebody they can go to. And there's a couple of people that have said that to me now that that you are seen as um, not like a, not as so much as a vet, but you're seen as like a, a source of leadership to go to. And you've you've crafted that yourself by being, I think relaxed and by being approachable and you're always looking out for the best of everybody else's you're not just looking out for your own good um but you've got that reputation backstage now Mm. yeah i think um that's probably just because of like my mindset in terms of i don't because i just love wrestling i don't really go into it for i'm not going into it for myself i especially like around the time with like paddy and stuff my I knew what the end goal was of this feud, like of me initially getting like the belt and the feud that me and Paddy were had afterwards. So I knew the idea of it was to build Paddy up. So my mindset wasn't to make me be this like super dominant um, champion that would like constantly beat the crap out of Paddy. So there's nothing left of him. I knew the idea was, well, Paddy's going to win it eventually. And he needs to be the, this force that people like that sense of, of someone, someone they know that Paddy can beat me. It's just I'm that little bit more smarter that I get the upper hand. So that's how I tried to craft some of the stuff that we were doing, like all the matches that we had when I beat Paddy. It's never like a solid victory of like me steamrolling him. It's always very, very close. Like if I didn't if I didn't do that one thing that made me win, Paddy would have definitely won. So I wanted to get people to have that behind Paddy. Of having him be like, oh, I know, I know, Paddy, I know, Paddy can get it. It's just because it, Spike just seems to be one step ahead, but Paddy needs to get that extra step going. And that's that's a thing. See, that's a quality that so many people lack, um, but you've always had, and that's always paid back for you. That you're not worried about. You see, okay, I'll rephrase this. There's a lot of people that are only worried about winning. There's a lot of people that are only worried about how good they look or they're only worried about getting their stuff in, or they're only worried about getting a belt. That's not you. You're worried about the bigger picture, the other person looking good, the purpose of the match, the reason that you're there. And that is the kind of stuff that will have you a job for life. These other people, and, and maybe this I'm one of the rare ones in this because there's a lot of promoters that just don't care how their talent behave, but I do. But mm. for me, there's people that are difficult or they complain or they moan or they bitch about others they're not going to get anything and they don't get anything and they get phased out, but you never have. And and for me, that's been one of your absolute key qualities over the years that you never complained about anything you've been given. You've been happy for it. You've never been in opposition to anything. You've always been working with us and working for the greater good. And like you mentioned about your matches, you've never tried to like, Oh, I must look strong. I must look good. And I must, you know, no, you've like, I, I don't mind being, cast as this chicken shit heel i don't mind being cast as this coy he's lucky to have got that because that's the purpose of the villain in that match and you've always done that uh and and that's one thing i've always regarded you so well with and valued you so much for that you don't give me any headaches as a as a as a roster member i don't have to worry about you you're easy to work with and that honestly that is worth every bit imaginable yeah yeah, it's just because I just don't. I just don't really see like the point in it. Mainly, I don't see the point in me constantly pestering you, because I, I don't think I've ever messaged you once to be like, "Paul, give me a belt." No, <laughs> no. Although there was that one time at ringside 
<laughs> and you threat remind to tell the viewers or the listeners exactly what one of my favorite moments of you ever. Recount that oh, one for us. Oh, what which match was it? It was oh it was um it was me versus Tommy Kyle, wasn't it? Was it that one? Uh yeah, because it was the um <laughs> Yes, I yeah, think yeah, it was. It was, yeah, because it was um I was Royston. Young Lions champion and Tam was um was heavyweight and it was um if I won I got both the belts uh, but then if Tam won he retained yeah because it was like our first champions as champion match and then I yeah. I was backstage I think because uh, I yeah it was just before I went out because I was going out first and yeah you, you remember just telling me and you're I think you're like um oh because don't um you go, he goes you, you'll be you'll be fine and I'll be like he goes oh is it true that like this would be like if if I win this then you know that I'll be like double champion that'll be the first one you're like yeah yeah you would be and I was like huh. And I was like, so if I pin him, he goes, I'll win. And, and, you, and you, I could see like the worry in your eyes of being a bit like, no, you're, Tam's winning this one, okay? And I just looked at him and I went, Paul, I'm going to shoot win and you can't stop me if I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I also remember, I think I was I think I was near ringside and I remember you just walking past me and you just muttered a lot of something along the lines of, you can't stop me, Paul. <laughs> just yeah. past, and and all, all my head was thinking was he's really good at shoot pins. And in the back of my head, I was like, "But what if he does? I can't. We can't. What if he does?" <laughs> it was the thing little... is, if, yeah. If I knew, if I knew I was going to say, because I literally said it before I walked out. If I knew before, I would have planned something like some sort of false finish yeah. that would have really freaked you out. <laughs> some dusty finish, yeah. But it was just that comment of. Uh, there's nothing you can do, Paul. Nothing you can do about it. <laughs> just, that little I bit mean, of worry in the back of my head. This is very true. There's that little bit of worry like, oh, have I created a monster here? <laughs> it was it was a very tense 20 minutes of that match. <laughs> it was very funny. It was honestly your crowning moment. It was that, it was that point I knew, like, yeah, this guy's destined for greatness. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, so fast forwards to um, 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was discussions during that year, and, and it was discussions with somebody else on the roster that um, was was having a creative input at the time. And I won't embarrass him by mentioning him on this, but we were talking and we were kind of looking at where we're going for the next six months and, and stuff. And um, you came up, and it was like, do you do realise that he, he's the most all round on the roster? I think like him and and Ant are the two best at what they do. It's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I said, oh, you know, I've been wanting to to do something big for him for a while. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. I've not really had the, the thought before, but now he's doing the Spike Valentine thing and that's really working and he's found his niche. Maybe it's time. And I kind of said, well, it's not out of the realms to say that we build him for the top and I think it can be done. It's going to need a slower build, but I think we can do that. And then the idea was going to be bringing in people from outside or bringing in as good people as possible and have you work your way through them to build up your credibility to get to the top. And mm. we started that with um, Sugar Dunkerton. Oh, yeah. Should he contact us and said, oh, I want to come in, can do some work. Yeah, let's get something going. And it was always a case of like, who are we going to put him in there with? Who's going to be the right person? And I was like, it's got to be, because he needs that, that, that credibility. He needs that um, big name to go against and show he can hang. Uh, and also, I know he'll work with him and pull out something really good, because he understands kind of kind of psychology he does um the match itself was was fantastic and it, it went really well what were your thoughts going into that were you nervous thinking of going in with somebody who's got this kind of international name uh how did you work together was there chemistry um 
yeah, I mean, I remember you, um, I think you called me about it because you don't really call me. I'm pretty sure you called me. I don't think you messaged me. No, I'll just send you cream egg pictures. Yeah. So I think, yeah, so you, um, yeah, because I think you called me and I was a bit like, oh, this is weird. Paul, Paul doesn't usually call me, call me. Um, but then, yeah, then you told it. And I think at first, obviously, I was like, oh, wow, he thinks I'm, he goes, oh, if he really thinks I'm good enough, then yeah, I'll do it. Oh, um, that sounds really fun. And then I think, like, leading up to it, um, I was a bit nervous because I'd never really gone against someone with that type of status before. Um, so I was a bit nervous. But in the back of my head, I was like, no, I know I can I can definitely do something. And I think what really put me at ease was when I eventually met Sugar. And he's just he's just a lovely guy. Really, really yeah. lovely guy. Um, and I just remember I went up to him and I was like, oh, hi, I'm, I'm the one that's going to be working you today. And then he was just like, "Oh, hi." Um, he was like, "What's your um, what's your gimmick?" And I was like, "Oh, it's a um, well, it's Spike Valentine. It's a it's a glam rocker." And he immediately just goes, "Okay, we're going to do an air guitar battle." Just straight away. <laughs> first, first thing he said is just like, "We're going to do an air guitar battle." And I don't know why, but for some reason, all like my stress just went away in that moment. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah. "Oh, okay, I guess, oh, this this is going to be really fun." I mean, I knew. I mean, I was, I've seen some of his stuff, so I knew he was. I knew he was really good, and he was really funny. Um, I knew he was someone I could work with, but in the, but um, obviously, I was still nervous until I eventually had that official conversation. And I was like, oh yeah, it just kind of all, all drained away at that point, and then we were just, we were just coming back and forth of all these things. He was um, giving me ideas of stuff he wanted to do. I told him the sort of stuff I did, um, and then yeah, it just kind of all worked out perfectly, pretty much. I think looking mm. back. It's one of those matches where I look back and I, obviously I might see like a few hiccups or maybe like, like, you know, little things, but it was the first time I probably watched the match back or did a match came back and was like, Oh, nothing, nothing went wrong. Everything happened exactly how I wanted it to happen. And I got the reactions that I wanted for like each individual stage. But, um, but yeah, but, um, he was, it was so, it was such a good experience to be able to work with someone um like sugar because mm. he's um he because he, he just he he because he i think it's because me and him had like similar mindsets which is he doesn't he he wasn't in there because he wanted to get himself over as well yeah because he knew what the initial idea was because um in terms of where where this was going to lead up to mm. and he because he because he was never sort of like you know when, when i sold him saying like oh i think the idea is for me to eventually get the championship this is meant to be my big build-up he wasn't like, all right, cool. I'm gonna do all of like these moves that I do all the time, and then yeah, yeah. last five seconds you can pin me, and then we'll call yeah. it a day. But no, he was probably sort of like, oh yeah, well, he goes, we'll give you this, so um, that way this pe- gets the people involved. And he goes, and then if you beat me in this way, it will make it a lot more deliberate instead of you winning by a fluke. Like he, he mm-hmm. really, he really, really wanted to like help me in building that, and I can't be thankful enough for him being like just so. Um, some compatible and so um, happy to help me out with everything. Yeah, and top quality the... guy. <clears throat> oh yeah, definitely. Because I think the other thing, because that was the day when we also had like two shows in the same yeah. day. And I think one of the biggest things that stuck me out with Sugar is that even when you get outside people in, like you know they're usually lovely people and they'll help out and they'll be um, really good in terms of feedback. But Sugar would, um, and he got me in the sort of mindset of starting to do it as well which is he pretty much watched and gave feedback on everyone. He watched the whole show. 
yeah, he even the even the second show that he wasn't on, he still sat there yeah. and watched the whole thing. And he was giving everyone like loads of feedback. He gave me loads of feedback in terms of like what I can do. Even even the feedback that he gave me, I I I do now. So he gives like really really good feedback. And because yeah. I just like any anyone like even if you'd never met them before, um, and they come back from their match, you'd be like, oh hi, um, I'm sure. I'm um, just so you know, I watched your match and it was like really good. Um, maybe maybe if you do this next time, it'll look a bit more legit. Or or I saw you stumble there, maybe do that and that might help. But he was he was very. He he never in terms of how he gave his feedback, it was never like critical. He never went up to anyone and was like, "Yeah, don't do that. That's stupid. Don't yeah. don't ever do that." He was very sort of like, "Oh, I mean, yeah." He was he was very like supportive of everything that people were doing, but he was also I want to help you. Yeah, he was helping everyone, and I think that's the kind of thing that got me really into um, into feedback in general. I mean, I, you know me, I always mm. listen to feedback, but it's just because, especially because there's like you know there's some people out there who might you know i've seen some people who are like they won't take criticism from oh yeah anyone he goes he goes even if it's like audience or a ref they'll be like oh you're not a wrestler don't give me feedback yeah um but hey, there's people sure. out there that they don't even like taking feedback from experienced pros yeah mm. but yeah but i think like but Shug just got me into that mindset of of like yeah because maybe i should be like watching the rest mm-hmm. of the show because usually if i i don't know if i'm like um uh, I don't know. Say I'm on, say I'm like the end of the first half. I won't watch the first half of the show, but I'll probably watch the second half. Whereas yeah. now I do make it a habit of watching, trying to watch everything. Obviously, I'll still plan my match, but when I get the time, I um and, and I get, I will try to watch at least at least a bit of everyone's match. Yeah, so it's can, essential yeah. stuff. You'll you'll learn and you understand what people are doing, and you can always as, as well as now. And we'll get to this in a second. But now being the top of the tree, you're by default a locker room leader so people are going to look to you and you're going to be in a position now where you can give advice and you're going to be really in a way part of your job would be giving advice and giving feedback Mm. so you're in a position now where the more you can keep your eyes on things and the more you can advise people um the better it'll help help them and it'll do you the world of good as well because there's going forward there's a few people that I see as being the locker room leaders that I want to empower to keep track of things backstage and look after things and be go-tos and you're definitely one of them. So mm. yeah, I mean, it's, it's great that you had that experience and, and like you say, Sugar's a great guy. You never hear a bad bit of feedback about him, no. but he's also a journeyman around the world, international. He gets work everywhere and that's because he's a professional. Yeah. He does his job does what he's asked, he does the best for his match, does the best for the show, and he's just so easy to do business with. I'm looking oh, yeah. forward to hopefully getting him on again next year um, because he's just he's just such a positive influence to have there. But, yeah, I think yeah. Cause I think that was also one of the worries when I first met him. I think that also helped with like the flush away of like stress because I was a bit worried, yeah. thinking like, oh, what if he like thinks he's he's like he's too good for me or I, I or I'm not good enough? What if he's yeah. like um like really up himself? But he was just so down to earth yeah about everything it was he's such an easy person to talk to yeah which is a good thing but the, like i say the idea was to to get you in there with some more experienced guys and should be in one of them and there was gonna the idea was gonna be uh, a build to about middle of last year and then middle of last year was gonna be the time that we were gonna do it but then of course um crowley being a difficult person as he is that brought things forward um but so to to lay this one out, we kind of decided that yes, we're going to do this. We're we're gonna 
we're going to make you the heir apparent and we're going to be building it towards you. And then there was some uh, administrative struggles that we had, which meant that Crowley couldn't make um, Mimia, which was going to be, which was brought forward because we were going to do it later in the year, but we we decided Mimia was going to be the time for doing it. Uh, But he double books himself. So we had a long chat of mostly me just shouting at him. But he said, uh, well, look, I've got an idea. And we spoke about it. And I was like, you know what? This is the best situation possible, yeah. But I like it. I think this could really work. And the idea was going to be that you were always going to win the floor is lava. But rather than, obviously, that leads to the next show, Crowley instead coming out at the end of the, the match, making an impromptu challenge there and then and doing it there and then. And at first I was like, oh, it's a shame because you don't get a chance to build it. But that could really work. And then he, he said to me, he said, on one condition, we don't tell him. <laughs> and I said, what? No, 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 we don't tell him. We keep it secret and we just do it on the fly. And I'm like, oh, mate, this is a massive risk. I don't know. Like, what if he, what if he completely shits the bed when you get out there? And what if, oh, this is a big risk. He's like, no, don't, no, don't trust me, trust me. I was like, one, I trust Crowley for a start, but two, I trust you, and I know full well that you're adaptable. But then we had the conversation beforehand. He was like, if we're doing it on the spot, how do we make this ending good? How do we how do we make it like because I said to him, what would be really good is if he can reverse the over the, the crossroads and hit you with it. He's like, Yeah. Oh, but you need to know how to reverse it. And then I said, Well, look. Just go up to him and say, oh, can you help me practice this move out, this reversal for later on? <laughs> and he did. And you fell for it. It was fantastic. It's because I, f- I thought it was part of his match. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I was like, hey, he's a sucker. We'll get him into this easy. Is it? I, I literally had no idea because he did, like, literally, as you said, I was, because um, I know, because I think the other thing that didn't really throw me off, like Crowley does ask me about these sorts of things all the time. He does. He's one. Of the, yeah. He is one of the people in terms of like things like feedback. He is one of the people that usually asks my opinion on things. So that's why it, it was. It wasn't out of the ordinary for that to happen. Yeah. You know, if it was, um, if if it was probably anyone else, I might have gotten a bit sort of like, uh, why do you need to ask me? Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. But um, but so that's why I was I was fine with it. And he was like, oh yeah, just uh, I was thinking about this counter that me and CJ might do, but I I don't know how it works. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, and then he goes, I don't know how to get from me being a position to give the crossroads to have them be in the position without it being like too complicated. So I was just like, let's do this, Crowley. It's easy. <laughs> <laughs> Work to charm. <laughs> but yeah, I remember the day and him coming up to me and be like, you haven't told him, have you? Don't tell him. I was like, no, I'm not going to tell him, Crowley. Don't worry. Oh, make sure he doesn't know, doesn't know. And everyone, there was a few people there that knew something was up, but they didn't know what, because they could just feel it. And they were like, there's something going on later on. And I was like, leave me alone, I'm stressed, as <laughs> I always am. And they were like, hmm. But I remember being out there for the match, for the whole of the, the lava, because I, I wanted to watch it all through, because I love the, the way we, the lava rumble's always structured. But I knew what was coming, and I had to watch it. And I was so nervous. I was so nervous that it was all going to go well. And I think Crowley's told the story on his episode of the podcast, but please, from your perspective now, tell the story of how it all unfolded from the moment you win the Lava Rumble to the next 10 minutes. So the only thing that I I knew about the end, obviously I knew, obviously you told me beforehand that I was going to win the Floors Made of Lava. So that's all I was prepared for that day. And 
I remember was the other thing that Rich came up to me about was because um, I was talking to Rich. I think I actually started the conversation instead of him, which probably helped in his favor um, because I was making a joke um, saying like how because we, we always make jokes about each other in terms of like when we have like matches together because we only have like one. We only had one match together. But that was um, under different circumstances. It was, yeah. So I mean, I mean, I guess in a way similar because it was for a championship. But um, in terms of like atmosphere, it was different. So because me and him always like crack jokes at each other. So so I'm, I'm I cracked a joke about um, kicking the crap out of him when I after I win the floors made of lava, and then we kind of came to the conclusion we were like, oh, hang on, it's like we haven't got any build for this. Mm. Like we've got very very minimal build. Um, and then I think we're talking, and Crowdy was like. Why? Why don't I? Why don't I? After you win, I mean, it might be in a bit on the sound. I don't want to take anything away from you, but what if I come out and attack you after you win? Because then that can get <laughs> things going. So I was like, yeah, yeah, that'll be a good idea. I was like, you know, I'll celebrate. Then you come out and you spear me and beat me around a little bit, and then yeah, that'll be that'll be a good build up. Because at that point, people will want me to get like my revenge, and yeah. that way we're building something. So that's all I knew. That's all that was going in my head. All I knew was like, <laughs> do everything I need to do in the rumble. And then turn my back to let Crowley get in and then get beaten up, which is usually, you know me, that's what I usually do anyway. I just sit back and yeah. just take it. So, um, so yeah, so we're going through the whole floors made of lava. Really, really fun. Um, ending was me and Paddy, which was quite po- poetic in the end. Yep. Um, the only thing I think I was like super worried about um, was because I knew I had like two near eliminations in the match. Because there was the Crowley lot who were beating me up, yeah, and then there was the me falling on Tim Lee for them Tim Lee yes. to save me. But yeah. I wasn't really that bad. I wasn't really stressed about the Tim Lee because I trusted Tim to be there for me to catch me or for me to land on. So that didn't bother me. The only thing I was actually a bit worried about was the was the Crowley the other Crowley spot with his with his gang. Because mm. a part of me was worried, thinking that well, they've got to carry me from the ring to the walk. <laughs> what if they drop me? And slam me, yeah. So my mindset was, oh, if they drop me, I'm screwed. It's all, <laughs> it's all gonna fail. So that was the only thing I was actually really, really worried about. So that was fine. So then after that, for me, it was just all plain sailing. So then I eliminate Paddy, I celebrate, and then because I think the cue I gave him was the the corner that was furthest away from the entrance way. I was like, after I go and jump up there and do a bit of celebrate come back in because I'm going to sit there for a bit so you have time to get in and spear me. So I go to the corner, like, All right, I'm ready for Crowley to spear me. I think when I was celebrating, I could see Crowley like peeping through the curtain. I was like, okay, he's there. He hasn't forgotten. Yeah. That's good. That's half the issue with, with um, Crowley is him forgetting. Yes. So I, so obviously I climb up, do the celebration, climb down, turn around, boom, big spear. Um, And then and I think he, all he whispers in... He just comes out and he just says, stay there. And I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> so he's doing his, he's doing his promo thing. And I'm like, oh, Switch always does his promos. It's fine. I'm just going to lay here. Um, <laughs> just like, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think I was actually paying attention. I was thinking I was literally just sitting there in my own world, thinking about things like being like, I could really go for KFC after this. Yeah. Oh, Bulldog services. It's <laughs> <is> great. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I can't wait to eat. I'm so hungry. Um, and then, and then I think, like in the thing, I could hear. I think I, all I heard in the back of my head was him saying, "Like we're going to have that match right now." And I don't know if the cameras picked up, but I did like quickly pan and like sharp looked at Rich, like, "What are you doing? <laughs> 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 What's going on?" So, 
and then after that, yeah, he's just doing. We're doing the match, and he's just whispering me like piece by piece, like um, like he'll come punch me for a bit and be like, "Come and take the spear." Now do it, and then he'll be like, "All right." Um, then I think the thing that was he was like, "Oh, take a crossroads, and just do nothing." So I was like, "Okay." So he hits me with the crossroads, and I'm laying there. And he goes for the pin. And I was like, "Oh, but he just told me to lay there." So I was like, "Oh, I guess I guess Paul was just screwing with me about the championship thing. I'm just gonna lay here." <laughs> and then um, and then that was when he picked me up. And then, like yeah. again, whispered in my ear, saying, "Like I think, I think what he said was, remember the reversal that we did? Do that.'" And then, and then at that point, my brain just sort of clicked, and I was like, "Are oh, you cheeky son of a bitch?" <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then, yeah. And then after that, um, yeah, the the rest is pretty much history. At this a few point. seconds after that, so yeah, I mean, I was at ringside. I was it was at Big Was Wade. I was down by the doors, and and Percy was just hanging around there, kind of intrigued because he didn't know this was happening he's like what's going no, on I don't, think, I don't think anyone did like i said i think maybe no. like two or three people except from you and crowley knew exactly it was me crowley and i think one other possibly that was it i think it was would it have been was it been greg on the sound desk i think no 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 none of them knew oh. nobody knew i think there was one other roster member that may have known possibly okay. um but me and percy were there and i was watching it and i don't think i breathed for about four minutes <laughs> literally did not breathe in because I was just wanting it to go right, wanting it to go well, and I knew that you were flying by the seat of your pants out there. But at the same time, I knew as long as it all worked, it would be fine. And when that final few seconds happened and the pinfall happened and the place erupted because they were happy for you because they'd seen you spend all that time in the Rumble working towards winning it, They'd seen your journey thus far coming up through the ranks over the years. Yeah. And also they hated Crowley so much. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the the emotion was, was very organic. And I remember mm. Percy just looked at me and went, what? As if <laughs> almost like, does he just shoot one that bell? Like he's always threatened. <laughs> that was but the ultimate threat, Paul. <laughs> that was, that was, it was a long play. But I, I stood there, and I I won't lie, I'll tell it as it is, I literally teared up a little bit. Yeah. I was teared up because I was so happy, and also because it had gone so well. And I remember Crowley got out of the ring, and he was on the rampway, and he was sitting there, acting dejected. And at one point, he looked over and just caught eyes with me and just winked. And I was like, you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you're, just, you're so smug that you've pulled this off so well. And... Um, yeah, I remember getting in the ring and, and helping you put the belt on and then just saying to you, stay in, this is your time. Yeah. Just get no, I'm I'm done. Get out of the ring, Paul. This is this is for you. And it was all for you to have that moment. It was it was like Sean Michaels at WrestleMania twelve for me. Mm. And it was so good because it was so organic. And I was I was just so happy that it had come off so well. But Crowley was just so smug and so full of it of like, <laughs> look what we did, kind of thing. But it was an amazing moment. And you you can't you can't plan those moments that well because if you plan it, it's not organic. No, but I think the it, fact that I, it was was so good. Go on. Yeah, I was gonna say I think it's it's it was a huge mix of like things that just made it a perfect storm. Yes, because because like you said, like people, I mean, it's not because I think the other thing that helped was I originally came in from people who remember Spike, even though even the people who had no idea who Lucas Lightning is, which is absolutely fine. I prefer that actually, but. Um, <laughs> But in terms of like coming in as Spike, not only was it that they just came in, they saw my journey, but they originally hated me. Yeah. Like despised me. So for them to go from hating me to loving me and cheering. Yeah. And then obviously, like I said, in terms of building with things of like Crowley and 
um i think it was just everything just kind of worked and everything mm. fitted because it also fit for me to take like the huge beating in the match against crowley because that was kind of what i built most of my things on is being able to take the punishment yep so it was just kind of like everything just sort of fell into place it's which... almost like i know how to tell a story isn't it Nah, i wouldn't say it's that <laughs> fair enough yeah okay yeah, no, it was it was wonderful, and I think it was a, a real good, a real good f- like finale. To obviously we rip it off from from the WWE, but we did a whole kind of calendar year. But it was a good way to finish off the year a little bit earlier before Mimi and it was mm. yeah, it was wonderful the way it came around. And then of course you created COVID, and um, that was the end of that. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean I've still got the belt, which is fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, but yeah, go on. That was to say because I had obviously had the one match against Paddy. I won yep. that, so now hundred percent success rate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hundred percent successful defenses for over a year. Exactly. So it's incredible. It's it's the perfect. It was the perfect storm pool. It really was. It really was. The thing is, you think you were pl- you were long term planning, but I was long term planning. <laughs> that 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 time you said to me. There's nothing you can do. It was that was the genesis, and that was the long play, the long con of it all. <laughs> At that point, amazing. I was always five steps ahead of you and the world. Yeah, appara- yeah apparently so. Uh, amazing. No, but it's it's been a great journey for you, uh, and I think doubly good because you had a rough start in the wrestling business in terms of people having faith in you, people giving you opportunities. It, mm. it, it was a rough start in that sense. So I think it's been twice as as poetic that you've achieved this and climbed to the top um, yeah. with that journey. I think it's been twice as good. Um, and, you know, from a booker perspective, I'm really, really happy and really proud to have you as the figurehead because you're someone that I can put on a poster and people can go, oh, well, look at that guy. You're someone that I can put out there, not have to micromanage, leave you to it, and I know we're going to have a great match. Mm. You're someone that I know can be a positive influence backstage, be no issues backstage, and people come to. So yeah, it, it's it's really good for me and I'm really happy for it. And um, yeah, you, you owe me everything. Yeah, mate, no, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of credit. but you know. <laughs> Fair Because <laughs> like, like you said, Fair Paul, enough. you don't have to come and talk to me the thing. Because when I think about it, I can very minimally think of times when, in terms of like planning, when you've had to come in and interrupt me or something. Very true. And even if I have done, I've probably forgotten about it. Yeah, or I just didn't do what you said anyway. I just did something else. Yeah, just do what you like, exactly, yeah. Fantastic. Right, so that's the journey. That's the Spy Valentine journey, and it's a journey that I've been very happy to be on, and I'm looking forward to what we do next, when we can actually get shows back. I yeah. think the next chapter and solidifying you as a champion and showing people that you're not just won it as a fluke, but you're going to deserve it and what you're going to do next, mm. and there's some good plans in the line, um, it's, it's going to be good. You know, We're going to get, I don't know, a couple more people in from outside, uh, maybe John Cena, yeah. and we'll see what happens. A lot, yeah. lot of hard work. Yeah, yeah. Just, you're going over on Cena clean in like two minutes, so, yeah. you know, be good. So we've got to the end of your journey, mm-hmm. so we're going to finish this up. So um, what I like to do on these podcasts, as I'm sure you've heard, because I know you've listened to every single one of my podcasts at least three times, haven't you? Uh, I gave them I a listen. I wouldn't, yeah, say, I, I wouldn't say I listened to uh, I listened to them once, maybe get about halfway through and get fed up of your voice. That's understandable, to be fair. Ah, okay, I'm broken now. No, so let's go on to your... I want to get into the the, the personal side. Let's dig into the personal bit. So we've talked about how you first got into wrestling, what you first started watching. But obviously you started watching it at a far later date than me because I'm very old. 
What would you say, of all the years you've been watching it, mm-hmm. what's a favourite match you've ever watched anywhere, worldwide? And then what's a favourite match you've ever been in yourself? And do you think that what you've liked and what you've watched has shaped you as a worker? Mm, I'm just trying to say, I think... I'm also, I don't know if I can actually say the name of this. I don't know if, pe- I don't know if people are going to get really defensive about it in terms of like the favourite match I've ever watched. Go on. Um, but it's actually the main event of WrestleMania 20. Oh, is that the one where Shawn Michaels wrestled Triple H? And, the other, and there was nobody, there was nobody and, else and the involved other, in the, the match. And the other man. No, there, was nobody, there was nobody else in that match. You, if you check on <laughs> WWE.com, it was, a, it was a singles match. It was a yeah, singles okay, match and none of them won. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, HBK... Uh, Triple H and Chris Benoit. Yeah, because yeah. um, yeah. don't get me wrong. As, as horrible as the story of Chris Benoit is, no, even people say now you can't deny what he did for the business mm. in the ring. Yeah, and it was just one of those matches where I think I first watched it, and I think I generally got um, like emotional about something mm. because obviously at the time when I was watching it, Shawn Michaels and Triple H were like probably the two biggest people, bearing my from barred from like Brock Lesnar or something. Yeah, but they were massive. So to have someone like Ben Wabi in there, who mm. everyone knew was great, but it was whether he could go to that next level. Yeah, and just like you know the brutality of everything, like you know the like even like you know the famous of like Shawn Michaels's face, of like how much it was bleeding and Triple H's yeah. face that was bleeding, and um, the storytelling of the whole match. I just thought it was just so well done mm. for like a multi-man match. Because I think, because with multi-man matches, for me, they're either like really, really good, or they just crumble. Yeah, but I think yeah, they're, they... they're either a, a sequence of bits stuck together, or they tell a story, and it's very yeah. hard to tell a good story. Yeah, it's like it's like little stories that last a few seconds that you forget, or yeah. there's one huge overarching story that goes over the entirety of the match, which is what they yeah. did. And um, yeah, because I think at the time, because at the time I was very much a in terms of wrestling, for me, it was very much like there was one-on-one matches and then there was tag team matches. I wasn't really a big fan of like other multi-man matches. Bear in mind, probably like, you know, the Rumble, Elimination Chamber, stuff like that. Mm. But in terms of like general regular wrestling matches, I wasn't a big fan of things like Triple Threats or Fatal 4-Ways. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very... Yeah, so that, that will probably be the most favorite match I've ever watched. And I do yeah. still go back and watch it because even now I still learn loads and loads of things from it. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a masterclass from, from all three in terms of playing their roles and linking into a, a larger picture. Yeah. Um, all three of them were on their absolute A game. And to, to your earlier point about, you know, it's a sensitive subject with Benoit. Yeah, it is a sensitive subject. But like I've said to people in the past, and, and, and I'm, I think I'm in a position to speak on this more than most people that are just watching it. I met the guy. I trained with the guy. Mm. So, and this was a year before. Um, well, this was. Oh, this was the year he won the belt. This was that year. Yeah. I remember training with him. Um, and he. The guy that was there at the end was not the guy that I met. And you could think that's an easy cop out, but it's truly not because the guy that I trained with was was tuned in, was sharp, was nice, was giving, was was um, caring. He loved his son. He wanted the best for other people. He took time out of his day off to come and bump around with with four English guys who didn't have a clue what they were doing. He was a quality human being at that time. What happened afterwards is what happened afterwards, and that was accumulation of various things that yeah. 
changed him as a person. Yeah, it's probably Everyone one, that knew it's one of the biggest mysteries I think is always going to be in wrestling. Exactly, it's it always will big, be. That, that like sudden like switch, that 180. Yes, yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day... It is what it they, is. Yeah, but also they, they, they looked at the body, they looked at his brain afterwards, and they said that he had a brain of a, like a 90-year-old like Alzheimer's like patient. Or yeah. At the end of the day, you, you can't discount that. And no. you don't wipe out what happened. You don't wipe out what he did. But the person at that time for that match specifically was the person that I met, and that person had nothing negative about him. So it's it's sensitive, but like yeah. I always say to people, unless you knew him, you know, and I didn't know him, I just met him. Well, even, unless you could say that, no. Well, one of the things that makes me a bit more comfortable about saying it, I remember like when we did a training session, um, I did it with um, Jody Fleisch and um, <coughs> and um, Johnny Storm. Yeah, Johnny Storm. And even like afterwards, I was talking um, to Jody because he was giving me loads and loads of advice. Because um, I'm like, I think um, Jody sort of quickly, the both of them are very quick at identifying the sort of things I'm good at. So they're very good at telling me what I need to know. Yeah. And J- even Jody was like, he was like, it may sound weird. He was like, but go back and watch Benoit because I think he a yeah. lot of stuff that he does will help you with what you want to do. Mm. So yeah, so I do, I do still watch him. I mean, like I said, I don't condone yeah. what happened, but. I, I appreciate what he did in the ring and I know I can still learn from the things that he was doing the same way I can absolutely. learn from anyone that was in the ring. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, that's probably the favorite one I've watched. Fair enough. And then to your favorite one that you've been involved in. Oh, that's a tough one. Cause I'm... So there was this big South African guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be a big cop out at the end, wouldn't it? If that was the case. Just, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. There's, um, because I, I think I have two favorites, but they're for different reasons. Yeah. So one of them was the first match I did for the Devon Wrestling Association. Mm. Because it, cause that was when I had to be, they wanted me to be a heel. And it, so I kind of went back to like early spike roots. But when I watched the, or think of the match back, I can see like the difference in what I did in terms of work compared to what like I originally started doing. Yeah, and I can see that progression from like when I started to now. Yeah. So, and also it was just a really fun match. Like the the crowd were amazing mm-hmm. to talk to. So I just like there was they luckily the people there were nice enough to tell me like who to single in on in the audience. So that's exactly what I did, and people just absolutely hated me, especially because Perfect. like the finish the finish was me um, knocking him off the top rope, so he nutted himself. Ah. And then as he fell off, I pinned him, then put my feet on the ropes. And honestly, I got booed out of the building. They were Beautiful. not they were not happy with me. I'm not gonna lie, I was a little bit worried when I rolled out because <laughs> so many people were like standing up and like walking almost with me. I think they they knew like not to get involved, but they were still like approaching me as I was walking away, and I was a yeah. bit like, Oh god, I'm gonna get attacked. You never know. Like all it takes is a second for someone exactly. to switch. That's what I mean. I mean, luckily, like, um, I mean, it was it was so funny because I remember like walking out afterwards, and there were so many people, even the ones that were screaming at me, and they'll come up and be like, "Oh, can I, can can you sign this for me, please? You're really good." <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it, I do I do love working for them. They're such they're great crowd. Um, the the company themselves are just really nice people. They have got some really good talent on there. Because um, mm-hmm. it was Max Wilson. Yeah, yeah, super, really, really good, really, really good technical wrestler. Really, really good guy. Knows what he's doing. Super good. So that one I do love because I mainly because I can see from like day one to now, I can see the progression of how I've done with Spike. Yeah, and my other one just because for like 
I don't know, I guess like marquee reasons, is probably the fatal four-way match of me versus memes versus Ricky Calve versus Robbie Boy. That match was so good. It was yeah, it was really really fun. I was super super happy with that one. Um, yeah. I mean, especially because you didn't actually know this at the time, Paul, but I was actually like severely ill. <laughs> you, you remember you were feeling a bit rough. Yeah, because I remember like you looking at me because I literally just sat at the table, didn't I, the whole time, just like mm. with my head head in my arms, was like, uh. <laughs> I think you're a bit worried. And there was some moments when I was like, oh, maybe I should just tell Paul I just want to go home. But then, <laughs> but then I was like, nah, I'll, I'll do it because I want to do this match. It's going to be fun, and it went, and it was, it just went really well, especially because it was like um, everyone that was in the match was people that like I grew up training with. Like yeah. I've known Nick since the day I started. Cause I think Nick started around the same time as I did. And yes, he did. Yeah. So yeah, and then like I knew Ant, I knew Ant previously before he started UBW, um, uh, through through like a mutual friend. So I kind of mm. knew him from there. So and we always had like um like what um, Paddy was saying in his podcast of making our journey home from training to Stevenage. Yeah, I had that yeah. with Ant as well. Mm. So yeah, me and him had that connection, and we always played off each other. We always had good ideas about things. And then memes, who's um, be, he's, you know we're un- unofficially the greatest undefeated tag team that the world's ever known. Spike memes. Spike memes, worst name ever. But um, but yeah, it was just one of those things. It was it was kind of that moment for us to suddenly be like, oh, we can finally like tell a story and do all like the stupid things yeah. that we've always talked about doing. <laughs> yeah, and um, I think I think the highlight of that match as well was when you did the Tower of Doom spot. Oh, and yeah. me just walked behind it, looking up, going, wow, look at that, as, as you flew past my head. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, had to jump o- I think I had to jump over you. <laughs> I don't know what was going through my mind, but I was just enjoying the moment. Yeah, you weren't even paying attention. I think there's a moment when someone's pinning and, you ju- and you're just sat there just like, oh, this is fun. Oh, wait, I'm ref. Yeah, that's <laughs> me all over, though. I'm the worst referee in the you world. You really are. I really am. <laughs> okay, yeah. If Paul's your ref, panic. Exactly that. Okay, good choices. Okay, so that's that's a, that's a good choice. So, aside from wrestling, then, mm-hmm. uh, I know that you you love your anime. Oh yeah. Um, but what would you say if you had the the you had to pick one, oh. any one TV show or one movie to take to a desert island? You only pick one. The whole works of one TV show or one movie. What would you pick? Really narrow it down. And I know, I know, as we were talking before the podcast, it's ghost stories. <laughs> I was really tempted to say that. I'm not gonna lie. Because <laughs> at least, at least then I can have a laugh while I'm stuck on this strand on this island. <laughs> it's very true. Yeah. Um. Oh, I don't know because I watch, I watch so many different things. Mm. Um. Because I, I, I. I don't really have like a set thing because I know some people like they usually only watch like documentaries or yeah because I watch everything I watch pretty much everything from documentaries to anime I think I just at the moment I'm watching this TV show called Lie to Me which is really fantastic show um, with uh, Tim Roth yeah like it's so really good yeah but um, I don't know I guess it would need to be a show that just goes on for a really long time just so I don't get too bored. So you don't run out of content. Yeah. I think uh, yeah, I think in that case it'll probably have to be either it'll probably have to be the US office. I think. Because mm-hmm. it's it's long, it's funny, it's memeable. And I don't know, I guess if I'm stuck on the stranded line, I can always go crazy and just pretend I'm working in an office and have it playing in the background. <laughs> That's fair. Know. But if uh, but I get in but in, if you want me to go like super, super weeb mode. 
I'll probably say I'll probably take one piece just so I can finally get around to watching it. Right. Okay. Because there's I... like I don't know. There's like six hundred episodes or something now. Good God. So and I've I've never watched it because I, I spoke because people was like all my friends are like oh you should watch it it's really fun and I'm like oh what what, what episodes are they on They're like like six or seven hundred now and I'm just like oh that's effort. So that's a lot of investment. Yeah. Really. So if I, if I'm going to be stuck on a stranded island at that point, I may as well because at least by the time I finish it, I'll either be dead or someone will come pick me up. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So like when you run out of food on day four, you've got through like ten percent of the entire library. You've done well. Yeah, I, yeah. In that case, yeah. I think I probably would pick One Piece because I I'm I'm interested in it. I'll finally get round to watching it. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> good idea, good idea. Okay, music wise. So I know that you appreciate a little bit of glam rock, a bit of cock rock, as I as do I. Um, what would you pick as an album? Any one album, to take with you. Uh. See, that's a weird one. I'm not really a big album person. No, I've never known you to speak much about music. No. Well, if I do, I usually th- I usually talk about songs in the singular. Mm, I don't. Yeah. I'm not really. I'm not really big on like finding a band and then listening to all their albums in sync constantly because I just like variety. Yeah. Um, got... So, in which case, I'll say you can take the complete works of one artist. Ooh, that's fun. Um, hang on, let me have a. I'm, I'm gonna. I know. I'm gonna let my phone decide. I'm gonna go onto my music and see what this says. The most played stuff is <laughs> results. Re- Rebecca Black. <laughs> oh God! If <laughs> if it is, I might have to burn my phone. <laughs> Let's have a look. Um, okay, so it seems to be either it's, it's a mix actually of Kill Switch, Engage, and um, Baby Metal. <laughs> Two good choices. I think so, yeah. Crowley went with uh, I think Crowley went with Kill Switch Engage. Yeah, I think I'll probably have to go with Kill Switch as well, just because like I think one they have more songs. Because if I'm gonna go stuck on the strand island, I want um I'll probably want variety, a lot of variety. Yeah, and um yeah, I think I think they're just one of those bands that I always listen to, and they've always got like quite nice um they've always got like really because they they've got their songs which are like really really hard but they've got also got like super nice little soft ones that yeah. you can listen to the chorus is versatile yeah it's yeah. very versatile so and like baby metal is great um but um some but i think in terms of like if i think of both bands it's probably more songs on baby metal side that i'm a bit like uh oh, skip skip yeah skip yeah whereas i can probably listen to more um kill switch if i had to yeah, you can just leave it on in the background while you're doing things, kind of yeah. music. I mean, I do that yeah. anyway, so I guess that yeah. means I'll just stick with it. That's fair. Okay, and then final thing, you can take one item with you. What's your one item you pick? Oh. Um. Ooh. Item. Prized possession. I'm just trying to think about what one item I'd want to take. <laughs> Um, probably, uh, I'll probably have to say something like a switch. If there's a way I can charge it, I'll take my switch. <laughs> it's, it's funny because like you, you and CJ and I think Crowley as well, you're like, oh, I'll take a game system on my phone. And I'm like, you got no price possessions that mean something to you. Like if it was a, like your house was on fire, you'd run back in to make sure you saved it. You're like, no, I'll just take my switch with me. Yeah, because that is the prize possession, Paul. My <laughs> God. See, mine's like a, a, a still-wrapped 1992 Wembley SummerSlam uh, program that I'd save that. Like I'd, I'd, I'd sacrifice people for that. 
I don't know. What do you, what do you want to? What do you want to? Say? I don't really. I don't really have a lot of things like that. The closest thing I have is my necklace that was my dad's, but I'm wearing that anyway. I, right, I, well, I, that's never, fair enough. I never take it off, so I don't really think that counts. I guess I'll go if I if it, if, if in the sense of it, the house is burning. Obviously, I'll grab the cat. <laughs> that's well. Yeah, the, hey, look, it's a cat. He'll be out way before you. That's true. They're smart. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, he'll probably be fine. I don't know, Paul. I don't really have a lot of physical objects because I probably would grab the switch. Unless you want to say like I don't know the freaking um, bikini anime girls I have, just throw them in the box. Yeah, we'll <laughs> go with that. Yeah, we'll we'll put that on. That's the one you're going to be known for, bikini anime girls. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Well, look, this has been a really fun, really fun catch up. We've gone like an hour and a half. It's been really good. But mm. I think your story is one of the best stories that we've had over the years in UBW because it's gone through so many different uh, iterations. You've gone through so many different versions of who you are. Yeah. And we have all literally seen you grow as a, as a person through this journey, become a man through this journey. Um, and I think it, it topped off so well on the last show that we did. Well, on before the last show that we did. I think it kind of comes to a really good conclusion. So, yeah, it's a whole new world for Spike Valentine when we can restart. And mm-hmm. I think it's going to be interesting to see what we do next. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it is super, super fun. It's going to be good. And uh, let's see if we can get some uh, some shoot wins in there that I can't do anything about. You, 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 don't have the, you don't have the authority for that, Paul. Oh, no, apparently not, no. <laughs> you it's, can't stop it's, me. It's Spike VW and I've got to live with it. Very much. Yeah. Mate, it's been wonderful. Thank you for this. No worries, man. Um, so uh, yeah, you're the you're the uh, you're the launching episode of season two, and um, all downhill from here. It is. Yeah, we'll see if we get more than four or five views. It'll be good stuff. Mm. Thanks, mate. Have a good rest of the uh, bank holiday. You too, man. And I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Sexy.